shining a light on government every Wednesday morning here on the WMAY morning news feed. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association. David Grising is the president and CEO and joins us from Chicago this morning. David, always great to have you here on the program. Great to be with you, Jim. Thanks very much. We start with uh, something that we see routinely in Illinois governance, uh, a bill that gets debated for months, uh, just endless hours of discussion and negotiation. And yet when it finally gets across the finish line, it's a mad scramble with lots of uh, additions and changes and modifications at the last minute. And at the end, a lot of people saying we don't really know exactly what it is we're voting for or exactly what it's going to do, but we're voting anyway. And we had that again this week with an energy bill that will um, have big ramifications for how we get our electricity here in the state of Illinois, what we pay for it. Uh, the jobs that are involved in it. Um, there, it just a, a massive bill. And again, David, it's uh, still not entirely clear. For example, for the average rate payer, will they pay $3 a month more, $15 a month more? Uh, still a lot of unanswered questions about this. Right, absolutely. Uh, the uh, estimates have ranged from about $4 a month to about $15 a month. Uh, the last one was a, an estimate by the uh, Association of Retired People, which has a vested interest probably in exaggerating the amount. Crane Chicago Business did a um, pretty in-depth study, and they came up with uh, between $7.75 per month by 2024 up to, uh, for a single-family home, about $10.5 per month. Uh, that mid-range probably will be closest to the way it plays out. Um, this is done, obviously, for political effect. Uh, those who are concerned about it uh, exaggerate, and those who want to defend uh, the bill um, talk try to make it sound as if the cost will be relatively low. Say what you will about this, though. Uh, it is another demonstration, too, of the, the power of certain entities when you have a corporation like Exelon that has basically already said, yep, yeah, we, we took part in a bribery scheme. <laughs> we, 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 we got caught red-handed. We were trying to grease the skids with insiders of the former House Speaker Mike Madigan, and yet they still get uh, a very handsome bailout in this package to keep nuclear plants open to save thousands of jobs, uh, but uh, it you know leaves a lot of people just shaking their heads again as to what exactly does it take for somebody, somebody or some corporation to uh, fall into the bad graces of the Illinois General Assembly. Right, exactly. And, and some of the lawmakers are saying that they've kind of prevented ComEd from doing certain things it previously would have done. Uh, for example, um, the, the utility cannot pay for fines from its public corruption probe from uh, money brought in by ratepayers. Um, there's there's supposed to be an ethics compliance monitor at the Illinois Commerce Commission appointed, et cetera. This is all sort of window dressing oh, around the really big impact of the bill, which is the economics of it. And you point out correctly that one if there's one thing Commonwealth Edison is good at, it's how to uh, kind of set the rules of the game when it comes to how electricity is priced in the state of Illinois. And while this uh, bill does do away with the um, uh, rate case that the formula rate approach to uh, um, uh, rate setting that was done in 2011, allegedly, according to the official, the corruption, you know, public corruption charge uh, that was done in 2011, through the influence of Mike Madigan, who may have been influenced by a corrupt deal with uh, to employ some of his associates, 
although Madigan says he did nothing wrong. That system is no longer there, but they'll go to a new system that Commonwealth Edison will have guaranteed profits from, and they are almost certain to see their rates increase over time. And enormous questions still about uh, when this all plays out over the next two and a half decades. Will we have sufficient generating capacity to make up for what we'll lose from these coal-fired power plants? Will we be importing power uh, from other states? And obviously, there's a long way to go, and a lot of things can change between now and then, but uh, still uh, so much about this is left up in the air and probably left for uh, future uh, general assemblies to deal with some of the fallout of it. We will, of course, continue to track it here. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association. Let's move now to the latest on the pandemic. And yesterday, the uh, Legislative uh, Joint Committee on Administrative Rules uh, after a, a lengthy hearing, uh, all got together with an agreed-upon resolution essentially saying that the State Board of Education, with some of its uh, tactics to enforce mask mandates and to uh, pull recognition from schools and school districts that uh, opted not to follow the governor's order to require students to wear masks in schools, some of this may have been, quote, outside of rule and that they have to do it in rule uh, and uh, report back in 30 days as to what they're doing on this. Uh, David, does this mean very much in the overall scheme of things? Uh, is it really going to, to change much as far as ISBE is concerned? No, I, I don't think it will. A, a statement from ISBE indicated that they're going to proceed. They think they have the authority uh, to shut these schools that um, won't comply with the mask mandate. There were some 60 of them at, at one point, although when the threat was made, we had almost Almost all of them came back into compliance, about 48 returned to compliance. Uh, this is a little bit of politicking here with this very sensitive issue. If the uh, members of the joint committee, who are all lawmakers, were serious about this, they could always pass a law limiting the Board of Education's uh, right to take action like this. They chose not to do that. They instead chose to do this route, which basically amounts to a press release. Um, there is a bill now in the House to make clear that the Board of Education has the right to do what it's doing. It won't pass during this recent upsurge in COVID cases, but I think the point is made for the time being that the Board of Education has authorized, has exercised this power, and there's really nobody in position uh, to stop them from doing so. You know, it, it is, as you noted, a, a way for lawmakers to sort of uh, assert themselves a bit without actually uh, asserting themselves in this debate. And I've argued all along that the uh, the lack of legislative action is in itself a form of legislative action. As you noted, if lawmakers felt strongly that uh, Governor Pritzker shouldn't have the ability to impose these sorts of rules, they could have intervened at any time and theoretically could have even done so with veto-proof majorities. But uh, the, the legislature under the control of Democrats has simply opted not to uh, get in the governor's way on this. No, ab absolutely not. And um, I think there's a lot of respect for the way that the governor has handled this, even though there are very big pockets of resistance, especially in the southern part of the state. Uh, but nevertheless, some, from some of the polling we've seen, people support uh, the governor's uh, mask mandate. And as regards the school in particular, uh, school children uh, under 12 can't get vaccinated. They are particularly vulnerable. Uh, we're seeing all the data indicating that masks uh, are th the best defense we have against the spread of the disease. So there are larger interests here than just this kind of jousting between a, um, a, a, a group of lawmakers trying to make a point 
uh, trying to exert their their power without really exerting authority. And we uh, did get a sobering reminder this week of the uh, the stakes that are involved here with the news down in southern Illinois that at least for a, a brief period of time, they were literally down to zero available ICU beds in the entire uh, southeastern region of the state, Region 5. Now, this is based upon, uh, to an extent, staffing levels. If you don't have a doctor or nurse to take care of a patient in a bed, you don't have a, a a bed available, uh, but it is just a reminder again of how serious this is, not just for people uh, who may be exposed to COVID, but for people with any kind of a medical emergency. Right, absolutely. There are 400,000 people in the affected area in the southern part of the state. And what we're seeing, I referred earlier to mask resistance, um, we're seeing positivity rates really jump up in the, in the southern part of the state. They're, in the last week or so, they've had a, hovered between 10 and 12 percent. In the Chicago region, in the northeast part of the state, That it's about half that amount. And, and, and so um, there is a cost to this... Uh, defiance of the recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control. And uh, sadly, it, we wind up the unintended consequences, the lack of availability of health care to people who have nothing to do with COVID. And we've seen cases nationwide where people have needed to go um, travel to other states to get treatment, people actually dying because of it. And this is what happens uh, when we don't take this pandemic seriously. We've got more to cover this morning. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising is the president and CEO of the BGA. We'll return to him in just a moment. David Grising is the president and CEO of the BGA. And each week we take a look at how government is working and uh, sometimes the, the strange things that happen in government, um, sometimes just to try to make a point. Uh, that seems to be the case with a piece of legislation being introduced by a Democratic lawmaker, Kelly Cassidy, who is seeking to uh, to turn the debate over the Texas abortion law on its ear by using some of the same tactics in the opposite direction. Uh, David, can you help us uh, make sense of what uh, this is all about? And is Representative Cassidy serious in what she's proposing here? Well, it seems that she may be serious, uh, but looking at, looking at her background, she believes obviously in uh, reproductive rights. She sponsored the 2019 law uh, defining abortion as a fundamental right in Illinois, and this bill was introduced two weeks after Texas introduced this bill that that enables it basically puts a bounty on the heads of people who are involved in abortions in the state of Texas. And uh, Representative Cassidy's interests introduced this bill to create a fine for people who uh, commit domestic violence on people or who cause, cause unwanted pregnancy. And some of that money would go toward a fund of people who take who flee their home states in order to get abortions. Um, you know what? She's been able to pass pretty controversial measures before. Uh, she doesn't always succeed. Uh, and probably fails to succeed more often than not. Uh, she's clearly trying to score a political point. Uh, but I do think, given her track record, there's some seriousness to this. And, and um, uh, given that it really doesn't cost the state money, it costs money to people who commit sexual acts uh, that are un unwelcome. And um, uh, perhaps uh, it could have a chance. 
it, it uses the Texas strategy of essentially turning uh, ordinary citizens into the enforcement mechanism, allowing people to bring their own cause of civil action uh, against someone who commits an act of sexual abuse or domestic violence. But also, and this is, uh, I, I think, the, the really incendiary part of this, uh, against anybody who causes an unwanted pregnancy. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, again, it does seem like it might be written more for the, the press pop than as an actual attempt at policy. But it is, I think, an attempt. And she says she wants to have a committee hearing on this uh, to require Republican lawmakers to uh, go on record against this tactic uh, that is being used down in Texas directed toward women who have had abortions uh, and to say why it's not to something that should be used against uh, domestic abusers or people who have committed sexual assault. So it's intriguing from a, a, a political standpoint, uh, not nearly so much from a policy standpoint. Yeah, I would agree exactly. She's clearly making a political point. As you say, she's trying to smoke out people who uh, are in conservative areas, have conservative views. You know what? I'm not sure what she thinks she's accomplishing there, because frankly, in those areas, uh, those conservative views on abortion are popular with the people who send these people to the state legislature. So uh, I'm a little bit unclear on what effect she is intending. It might actually be good for some of these Republicans who would vote against it, because that's exactly what their constituents might want them to do. David, before we let you go, we wanted to touch on something. We haven't really covered it much down here. This is a Chicago issue. You've had a front row seat for it. But it does show, again, the importance of watchdogs, the importance of, uh, of a scrutiny for government officials in the case of a Chicago alderman who uh, whose uh, tactics have have really come to light in a big way uh, involving uh, uh, abusive language directed toward people that he doesn't like or that he considers political opponents, but also allegations that he used his uh, power to exact retribution on political foes and critics. Tell us about Alderman Gardner up in Chicago. Right. Alderman Gardner uh, is obviously uh, based on texts that have been leaked out uh, quite vulgar, uh, it appears to be misogynistic based on the fact that many of his texts are aimed at women and are using language that is really just deplorable, that um, is not acceptable in polite society. And I'm not going to repeat any of the specific specifics here. Uh, he delivered an apology to the city council. They broke rules in order for him to stand up on the council floor yesterday and deliver an apology. Uh, he walked out without taking any questions from the press. And Mayor Lightfoot even has told him he needs to get in front of a microphone and answer questions about this. Uh, the abuse of power allegations, in other words, it's, it's claimed that he uh, has uh, taken retribution on people in his ward who uh, who have criticized him or stood up against him, uh, that, that he has gone after them as well. Um, those abuse of power allegations may be uh, uh, in that uh, there is reporting indicating that there may be a uh, an investigation by federal prosecutors about abuse of power. And so we have no idea if, in fact, that's the case. But this has just been a, an embarrassing episode, certainly for Alderman Gardner, as well as for the entire city council. And a reminder again of why it is important to keep our elected officials in check, to keep an eye on them, to shine that uh, sunshine on them and on their conduct, which, of course, we do here each week in full disclosure on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising of the BGA, tell people how to reach you and the Better Government Association the rest of the week. Sure thing. I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And our website is bettergov.org. And we'll be back next Wednesday morning here, full disclosure on WMAY. Thank you, David. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye, Jim. Thanks. Bye-bye.